0: The Old Testament lesson for the 16th Sunday after Trinity is from 1 Kings, chapter 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to to me to bring my sin to my remembrance, and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and... God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Just this morning I heard some news about uh, the state of California, which in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has become one of the shelters for abortion in our country, not unlike Minnesota, unfortunately. But I heard this morning that, that Gavin Newsom, in his effort, the governor of California, in his effort to be reelected, has been making a campaign in states where abortion is restricted. And the, the campaign looks like this, so he puts up billboards in other states, Mississippi, Texas, places where abortion is not looked upon favorably, a billboard goes up along the highways that says something like, actually I printed out a picture of it here, let me get the quotation right. Need an abortion? California is ready to help. Learn more at abortion.california.gov. And then in the fine print, this is the thing that particularly caught my attention, in the fine print is a quotation, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these, Mark twelve thirty one. An amazing thing. I mean, it's mind-boggling that an offer to have an abortion could be accompanied by Jesus' most uh, wonderful command, love your neighbor as yourself, to look out for the least and the lowliest among us. It caught my attention this morning, not because of the misquoting of Jesus. Really, uh, that is abominable. But more because it has something to do with how we think about death. In our world, this is one of the signs, one of the signs of how our world thinks about death. And that really simply begins with this with denial. As though life is not a thing at all, as though death doesn't matter one bit. It's ours to deal with as we choose. We can take life, we can give life, we are lords of our lives. Abortion is one sign of that, that we live in a culture obsessed with death. Now, the obsession of our culture with death is really a cope. It's a cope. That's what the kids say these days. When you are dealing with something, but you don't really want to deal with it, you're just coping. So our world copes with death in a lot of ways, denying it altogether. That's not really a death. It's not really the end of a life. What a terrible, terrible position to take. But there are other ways that our world copes, copes with death, For instance, this time of year especially, heading towards the end of this month, you see lots of caricatures of death. What is Halloween so often but an embrace of death, a celebration of its grotesqueness, of everything that's wrong with our world. There's a TV show that's out now that is a cartoon I heard about called Little Demon about fascination with the devil. And with things having to do with death and things contrary to the life that is given in the church by Jesus. Just a dreadful obsession, dreadful obsession in our world with death. And again, it's a cope. Why else would you take something so awful and turn it into a cartoon, turn it into a joke, make light of it, except that you have no other way to deal with it? Our world copes with death in other ways, too, by avoidance, by doing everything possible. You see this? all over the place, everything possible to forestall death. So prolonging death as opposed to prolonging life, holding on, grasping, clinging to every last shred of life as if this life is all there is. There's so much in our world right now that is bent on the science of immortality, doing everything possible to make sure that someday people don't have to die. This obsession with death is intense. It goes deep. In fact, I'd heard this week about a book that was written recently uh, by some hospice care workers, and the book is titled The Beginner's Guide to the End. The Beginner's Guide to the End, and it's a book about preparing yourself for death, but the first line, the opening line of the book, is this. It says, there is nothing wrong with you for dying. There's nothing wrong with you for dying. We're going to try to remove the stigma (coughs) that surrounds dying, and the book is full of all kinds of advice about how to make death not so big a deal. In fact, to make it the kind of thing that we celebrate, like birth or marriage or retirement, let's just turn it into another major life event that we can get something joyful out of. Now, it's interesting because some of the advice really betrays a lot of the underlying problems with dying. One of the pieces of advice is that you should enlist one of your friends, a close friend or a family member, somebody you really trust, to clean things up afterwards, that is, to go through your closets and pull out all the shoe boxes with all those love letters or whatever it might be, all the scandalous things in your life, they're to go through first and wipe the slate clean. Isn't that interesting? This is one of the ways that you should prepare for death, is having a friend ready to wipe the slate clean so that nobody knows, so that nobody knows about all of the things that you've been hiding your whole life long, <coughs> It's a cope, because, of course, in our Heart of hearts, deep down in our bones, we know that death is terrible. It's the worst. Death is, in fact, a terrible judgment of God against sin. And if God did not visit us in the face of this terrible judgment, we would be lost forever. Death is a terrible judgment of God against sin. Now, you can see this in our lessons today, and we should take some cues from the mothers in these two lessons, from 1 Kings and from the Gospel. Take some cues from them as to how they face death. In the first place, when Jesus encounters this woman who is accompanying her dead son's body out of the city in a funeral procession, his words to her are, do not weep. And actually, it's a little bit more severe than that. It's something like, stop wailing. Stop wailing. She's not just holding back tears, kind of a restrained sorrow, kind of working her way through her grief, but she is letting it pour out of her. She's wailing. What could be worse for this poor woman? There is nothing worse for this poor woman than to lose her son and to lay him in the ground. And so what she experiences in that moment is a true true expression of grief. She's not hiding it. She's not denying it. She's not looking forward to a celebration of life. Instead, she is saying, I'm at the precipice. I'm at the edge of a cliff that leads to despair. If there's no cure for this, if there's no cure for this problem that's in front of me, if there's no cure for this misery, then I'm done for. I'm lost. She shows us how terrible death is, and we would do well not to shy away from that. Not to downplay it or minimize it. This is often what happens in our efforts to comfort one another in the face of grief. We are so tempted to say trite things, to say things that don't really comfort, to say things that kind of minimize the tragedy before us, when in fact there is nothing, nothing that could or should take away the depth of that sorrow. The loss of a loved one is the worst thing. And worst of all, it is a judgment against sin. Now, the the mother in the Old Testament lesson, she knew it. You heard what she said to Elijah. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Our world would do well to remember that death is not just an occasion to sort of clean up your biography, to make sure that the best version of you is told to the world around you, but that it is the occasion on which God's judgment is finally rendered against sin. This is the judgment that he promised And the Garden of Eden, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And from that moment on, sin has been the cause of death. So, in fact, the authors of that book are dead wrong. There is something wrong with you for dying. There is something wrong with you. It is not how it was meant to go. It is not who you were meant to be. The fact that any of us breathe our last is because we are broken and corrupted to the core Failing to reckon with that is a reason why the world has to cope. Has to cope. Has to find a way around it. A way to minimize it. A way to justify it. A way to make it seem not so dreadful. A way to caricature it or make light of it. It makes sense that our world would be so obsessed with death. What else can you do with it in the face of such dread? Now, the judgment against sin, the judgment against sin has been told to us throughout the scriptures. We know this. We know the nature of this story. God Himself tells us that He brings this judgment on us so that we may learn to repent. Listen to what Moses says. One of Moses' psalms appears in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90. Listen to how Moses talks about life and death and God's judgment. You return to man to dust, He says. Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. That is, nobody in your life who loves you dearly, who is, keeps things confidential, whom you trust nobody can wipe the slate clean to hide your sins from God. Our secret sins in the light of your presence, you've set them all before you. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. <laughs> who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Moses knew even the people of Israel didn't get it. Who considers, who can handle, who can endure the fact that dying is a judgment of God? We shy away from it. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? But why? Why all of this? Why This seems like an obsession with death. This seems like being overly concentrated on it. Why don't, if this is the case, if this is how things are, if we're all going to die anyways, why not just move on? Why not just get on with things and enjoy life as well as we can? Here's what Moses says. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That is, teach us not to put our trust in ourselves or the things of this life which are failing and fading away. Teach us not to put our trust in false comforts, in lies, in deceit, in trite and vain promises. Instead, teach us to look where true comfort is found. That is a heart of wisdom. The beginning of, the lo- the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That is learning, learning that God is the one who judges. And that if his verdict against us is guilty, that's it. That's the end of the story, which is why these lessons are so precious for us today. Death is a terrible judgment against sin, and it would lead us straight to despair unless unless God came and visited his people. That's the cry of the people after they see that poor son of that poor woman raised from the dead. Jesus spoke into the coffin. He spoke into the grave and said, young man, I say to you, arise. And he did. That dead body listened. That dead body, which could not hear, had ears that were opened, and a heart that was not beating any longer was filled once again with the life of God. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the boy sat up, and he spoke to his mother, and the crowds marveled. Surely God has visited his people. That is our only hope that God would visit us and free us from this misery. We walked through the valley of the shadow of death. This world is full of pain and suffering and loss. We can put our stock in the things of this world that try to deny it or put it away or justify it, but it will fail us in the end. So instead, put your hope in God. Put your trust in what Jesus has done for you. Rehearse daily in your hearts and in your minds and in your homes the story of Jesus' death and resurrection of his victory over the grave, a complete and total victory. Listen to what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus rising from the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says, then we, of all people, are most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we, of all people, are most to be pitied. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. to the to kingdom and to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Think about that. Think about the nature of your life in terms of Christ's battle for your soul. Christ's war for your life. You were under the sway, under the dominion of the devil and death, and the grave was just waiting To swallow you up. Because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because of your disobedience to God, that is all that was in store for you. But Christ came because he did not want those enemies to win. Christ came and took up the sword, the sword which was wielded by his death and resurrection. He gave up his blood as a sacrifice for you, he gave up his life for yours. He did that because he did not want you to die, but to live. He did that so that now, even now, while you see your flesh wasting away, while you see death all around you, even now, while in the midst of this life we walk in the middle of death, you can rejoice. You can rejoice and be glad in a way that the world could never. With all of its caricatures, with all of its avoidance, with all of its denial, and all of its trite celebrations, a way that the world cannot, you can rejoice with true joy. You can have peace that passes understanding because you have Christ and you know that he is standing with you now And that in the day that you are laid into your grave, he is there, ready to defeat death for you. Because he has already conquered the grave. So that while your body is laid to rest, it is just simply awaiting his resurrection. That while you are laid to sleep, you are kept safe and secure because you are in the arms of Christ. I think it is a continual battle for us To put our hope in the things of God and not in worldly things. It is overwhelming. It's all around you. Everywhere you look, you see this coping with death. You read it in the obituaries. You see it in the memorial services you go to. You see it everywhere. Put your hope in God. Don't trust in earthly things. Don't look to men for your hope. But instead, look to Christ, the Son of God, who is powerful to put things right. To put an end To this awful misery and suffering to bring us to a place of eternal peace and joy if that's not what we're hoping in then i don't know what we're doing here if that's not what we're living our lives for then what are we doing remind one another of this all the time preach it to your family and friends this is what the world needs more than anything be lights shining in the darkness praise god that he has visited us that he has come to give us these gifts. Praise God that he loves you in this way, that he is willing to give up his life for you, to conquer all of your enemies, and to give you his victory. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.